The Dukies are coming. The Dukies are coming. The Blue Devils are coming back to McHale. You're listening to the Wildcat Sports Report Podcast. It was announced today, Monday, if you're listening to this on another day, that Duke and Arizona have agreed to a home-and-home series beginning next year, 2023. This will be the first time the Blue Devils have played at McHale since the double overtime game in 1991. And uh, with the time, Coach K, not real happy with the uh, officiating. McHale believed they got a little home cooking. And while it's certainly fun to pile on Coach K, remember, Lou Olson also refused to play New Mexico at the pit after, you know, the clock didn't start for three or four seconds on a final possession that, you know, ended up going against Arizona. That being said, Arizona and Duke have had uh, conversations over the years about uh, playing in the regular season. I know Sean Miller and Arizona played them at uh, Madison Square Garden um, early uh, in his tenure at Arizona, but other discussions were had over the years, and really the problem, and I don't have all the details, so I don't want to uh, get too much into it because I don't have the exact details, but essentially... Every proposition by Duke was slanted in their favor. Um, I know there were talks of, you know, Duke wanted to play at home and then have Arizona play on a neutral floor. Or if it was going to be a two neutral games and Duke's would be on the East Coast and Arizona's quote-unquote uh, neutral site game would be somewhere in the Midwest. Um, again, don't have the exact details, but I know... It was always something like where essentially Duke treating Arizona uh, like a, a mid-major and not like a, another basketball power. Uh, it'll be fun to see the two teams. I know John Shire looks like he wants to start scheduling true home-and-homes, and Duke hasn't had many. If you take out the uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge, uh, I read somewhere that their last non-conference, uh, ro- true non-conference road game was at uh, Madison Square Garden against St. John's, and even that is a... Uh, home away from home for uh, the Blue Devils. Really, you go have to go back to a, a road game at uh, Michigan, and I think someone said 2008. Now, I could have sworn they played UCLA since then, but uh, maybe I am wrong on that. But any way you look at it, this is rare for Duke. Um, again, I think John Shire is looking at trying to create, uh, frankly, more opportunities uh, and, and, frankly, getting his team ready uh, for conference play in an always difficult ACC. For Tommy Lloyd and the crew, it's a, yes, it's, we're starting to see maybe a return to, to more difficult scheduling. And it can be difficult. Uh, I know a lot of people are critical of Sean Miller, and some of that is deserved. But I know, and if, again, apologies also, if you listen in the background, you have Millie and uh, Dakota the Wonder Dogs uh, are wrestling. Because, of course, when the microphone comes on, the dogs start to wrestle. Uh, but yeah, we may see Tommy Lloyd trying to schedule tougher, and it has been difficult because a lot of teams will not do home and homes um, because of the money involved in playing, whether it's an ESPN or Fox Sports or CBS, made for TV game uh, in a neutral site location. You've seen Arizona play a ton of these. Uh, you've also seen that they go and play the tournaments or the showcases. Again, TV money involved there. I think this is uh, a good thing for college basketball and really something that maybe the TV networks want to pay more attention to. 
while it's nice being able to send one crew to Las Vegas and get four or eight teams, on television, they're not great events. Um, unless you can pack the arena with the Arizona fans or Kentucky fans or Duke fans, uh, these made-for-TV games are not great. Whereas if you put them in the college arenas with the student sections, I mean, look at some of those ACC Big Ten challenges where you have great fan bases. And, you know, the Illinois fans uh, jump out at me, the Michigan State students, of course, the Cameron Crazies, the Carolina kids. But I think this could be something that can really, as, as more, again, as we see regionalization of, of college sports dissipate, having these games, these, you know, home and home games. I know there's been a lot of talk between Arizona and UCLA that they're going to continue their rivalry uh, as a non-conference type uh, home and home type thing. But I think it makes good TV. And as you, again, as the regionalization dissipates, uh, it can be a very good thing to, to generate more interest in college basketball and create better, frankly, televised events, you know, what I'd really like to see done, I thought of this today, is I'd like to see the top 10, 12, you know, 16 basketball schools uh, come together and basically schedule round-robin home-and-homes. You know, get Gonzaga, UCLA, Arizona, uh, Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, Carolina, uh, Indiana, Michigan State, or Michigan, or Wisconsin, or whoever you deem, you know, UConn, Villanova. And get them and agree to play home and homes, you know, and, and you would get one home game, one road game with these teams. Obviously, Carolina and Duke wouldn't play or UCLA and Indiana since that's so weird that they're in the same conference. But, I mean, how great would it be that Arizona plays, you know, at Indiana? And I know they've got that scheduled coming up, but or, you know, you play at Michigan State and then that same season, Kentucky comes to McHale. Or you go at Villanova, which I don't think Arizona's played at that I can remember other than that tournament game in Philly, which wasn't a true home game. And you get, uh, you know, Florida coming here. Uh, remember those two classic games between Arizona and Florida. Remember the great games between UConn and Arizona. Uh, the Lauren Woods game. Uh, you know, th there's been a lot of fun games between these type of schools that you only get at a home-and-home -home setting. So I think it could be a very good thing about for college basketball. Now, interesting thing, one of the players who will be on the court next year, in theory at least, Colin Boswell. I know we've discussed it when I did Mike Luke's show. I actually, uh, you know, we're going to let you in behind the curtains here. I tried to record a podcast last week using the Anchor platform that I host on, and it erased uh, 40, like 14 minutes of content. But Colin Boswell reclassifying, he's going to be uh, yeah, with the Wildcats this year as a freshman, so he could be the starting sophomore point guard next year uh, when Arizona goes to Cameron to play Duke. Um, it's an interesting move. Obviously, he and his camp are saying the right thing, saying they just want uh, Boswell to get his feet wet, get used to college basketball, be a role player this year, and then, again, be ready to, to take college basketball by storm as a sophomore. Uh, as I have said a few times, that may be the plan, but you know somewhere in the back of his head, if he can come in, win the starting job, showcase himself to the NBA and be one and done, he certainly would, and you, and you can't blame the kid. That being said, I don't think that's a likely scenario. One, you've still got Ramey and uh, Kirk Risa ahead of you. Uh, it'll be hard for him, I think, to beat them out, especially because he is coming off that knee injury, uh, although he's expected to be 100% by the start of the season. Additionally... 
Um, I don't just don't think he's a one and done type guy. He's a very good athlete, but he lacks that pure raw NBA athleticism uh, that allows you to turn pro right away, regardless of performance. And if he is a guy playing 20 to 25 minutes a game as a freshman, that just may not be a big enough showcase to prove to NBA scouts that he's ready to go. Um, again, he could also just blow up, and it, it's a moot point. More than likely, I think he's a guy who will be at Arizona a couple years. I do think he has NBA potential. I think he has NBA talent. He's just not that raw athlete, uh, again, that the NBA teams will uh, jump at the chance, especially if they show uh, good skills, good basketball skills on top of elite athleticism. He's kind of the opposite. He has a potentially elite skill set with very good athleticism. And again, probably a future NBA player, but not a slam dunk guaranteed guy. Like, uh, well, if you want a good example, Ty Ty Washington, who, who almost went to Arizona, ended up going to Kentucky and... Uh, you know, end up going one and done. Uh, I think it, what it shows us is I think it now, again, not only shows us that uh, Arizona uh, wants to bolster the backcourt. I know we've speculated, you know, what that means for Pella Larson, what that means for Adama Ball. Uh, I think it means that Arizona sees those guys more as pure wings than combo forwards. I know Pella Larson was a ball handle last year. Uh, but I don't think he's ready to evolve into a Dallin Terry secondary ball handle. I know there's also been some speculation about Adama Ball, how he played a lot of point guard in high school or uh, with that semi-pro team he played with in Paris. But again, sounds like he may be more destined uh, to fill the shoes of Ben Matherin as a scorer than as Dallin Terry as a guy who can handle the ball. So again, having Creesa, having Ramey, having Larson – having ball, but adding Boswell to that mix, that gives Arizona you know, five potential ball handlers um, out there on the perimeter who they can mix and match. And, and with Boswell, maybe gives Arizona a pure point guard who can come in, run the offense once he learns it, once he's healthy. If Kirk Kreese is having a hot shooting night, allow him to slide over. If Ramey's having a, a hot shooting night, allow him to you know maintain his play at the two-guard position. It may also be the fact that they don't think Henderson is either equipped to be a a, a three, a, a wing, or they're afraid they need him more uh, for the post. Uh, he is a combo forward who, who can give you that athletic uh, power forward, which, you, frankly, you need at times because the rest of Arizona's bigs um, are more traditional bigs. You know, when you've got Balo. When you've got uh, Tubelas, you add Vester, who can play inside and out, but he's not going to go guard, you know, one of these six, seven super athletic uh, power forwards that you're going to see. Uh, you know, Dylan Anderson's not going to cover that guy. You know, last year we saw them go with uh, at times Dallin Terry playing uh, small ball as the fourth uh, with one big, uh, four out, one in. Uh, so I think Henderson gives them that advantage. Um, it also probably means that that Phil B, uh, the, the fellow freshman um, from Europe, is probably not ready to log big minutes for Arizona. Although, did see an Instagram clip where he looked uh, pretty good, pretty uh, more physical than I thought maybe he'd be. But way too early to you know speculate on that. But my guess is if we're talking rotation, Arizona is going to go with some combination of like about an eight and a half man rotation, and I think it's safe to say 
that it's going to be Balo, it's going to be Henderson, it's going to be Tubelis, most likely it'll be Vesser, it's going to be Kreisa, it's going to be Ramey, it's going to be Ball, it's going to be Larson, and then more than likely the guy kind of uh, mopping up those minutes will be Boswell. Again, would it shock us if a five-star like Boswell uh, doesn't end up becoming a, a rotation player, maybe a starter? No, it wouldn't surprise me. But when you combine the fact that he should be a high school senior with the fact that he is coming off uh, a bit of an injury, uh, that could um, you know change uh, the trajectory that you would see normally when you get a five-star kid in at that point in time. But I really do like what it does. It gives Arizona a lot of depth, a lot of options. It allows them to go uh, four out, one in, which I know Tommy Lloyd wants to do. It allows them to have more ball handlers, more point guards. Uh, it allows you to survive uh, maybe better if, if Kreese has having an off night where he's turning over the ball. Uh, it allows you to survive some foul trouble, things like that. Whereas if uh, you didn't bring Boswell in, if Kreese goes in the foul trouble, if Ramey you know, has an off shooting night, you're not relying on just Pella Larson or Adama Ball to be uh, your point guard, which, again, I don't know if they're fully equipped to do on a long-term basis in a game, um, you know, for 20 minutes in a game. Can they give you some minutes? Yes. But, again, I don't know if I'd want uh, them leading you down the stretch. So, again, makes Arizona deeper, makes Arizona a little bit scarier, frankly. I mean, if, you know, you're looking at a lot of teams – would kill to have Dylan Anderson as one of their three bigs in their rotation. And he looks like he's going to be the odd man out this year as a freshman, which, again, no knock on him, uh, but he was a guy who was always seen as a developmental-type guy. I started recording this on Monday afternoon. Then the dogs got loud, had to pick the kids up from camp. So we're finishing it on a uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, since I quit recording... A uh, little bit of news has broken on conference realignment, so we'll jump into that real quick. Uh, appears that some negotiations between the Pac-12 and the Big 12 have stalled and died, and that's not a huge uh, surprise. Well, I thought there was a chance we could see a full merger between the two uh, conferences. I think the more than likely scenario was and was always going to be that if uh, – the Big 12 ends up with some teams from the Pac-12, it would be just a, a handful. And that handful could be as few as two and as many as maybe seven, uh, although I think I think four or six seems to be the most logical answers. I really think at the end of the day, uh, Washington State, Oregon State, and Cal are in the most uh, dire predicaments. Um, while Washington State and Oregon State care about Athletics, for the most part, uh, they're in small uh, media markets. They um, lack a lot of fan support compared to the state schools, or the, I should say the universities in their states, and uh, really don't just haven't had great athletic departments. Cal just doesn't really put a huge emphasis on athletics, uh, even though they're in a good media market. Uh, they've had some success, but A, they play second fiddle to Stanford, who, who does care a lot about athletics, uh, even though they don't have the, the most rabid fan base. Uh, but college athletics doesn't really move the needle 
in, in the Bay Area compared to pro sports. Uh, primarily, right now, the NBA. Uh, you've got the Niners. You've got the Giants, to a lesser extent, the A's, the Sharks. Uh, there's just a lot of pro sports interest in the area. Heck, even MLS was pretty well up there. So from what I've been able to gather, uh, I haven't talked to anyone who was in directly in the know. Let me state that first off. But talking to people sort of around the program, putting some, some pieces together, uh, filling in a lot of blanks on my own. The feeling I get is that Arizona is going to do what's best for Arizona. There's no loyalty for Arizona. Or there's no loyalty to the pack. There's no loyalty to certain schools. Uh, Arizona is probably joined at the hip with ASU, but I've been told that Robbins and Crow don't necessarily see eye to eye, uh, and that Crow is a, a very interesting guy to work with. So, while I think Arizona, if the Pac-12 can add some teams, get a good media deal, would be certainly happy to stay in the Pac-12, there's really no loyalty there, because in many ways... Arizona got burned by USC and UCLA, although I've heard that maybe they felt like they knew a little bit more and, and, and no one wanted to listen to Arizona and a few other schools. I mean, not say it's just Arizona. Um, and they feel that Washington and Oregon are trying to throw their weight around the way USC and UCLA always have, the way you know Oklahoma and Texas did in the Big 12, other teams do in other conferences. So Arizona is going to do what's best for Arizona. I would not be shocked again if they and ASU have strategized, if they and Colorado have strategized. Utah seems to really think that they might have a chance at the Big Ten. Probably not happening. Um, the Four Corners schools are probably strongest as an entity. Now, what is Arizona selling? From what I understand, Arizona is selling basketball especially to the Big 12, where they think they can make really the premier basketball conference. When you look at adding Cincinnati and Houston to Kansas, to Arizona, to uh, an up-and-coming BYU, to a Texas Tech program that's been very strong, to an Oklahoma State program that's typically strong, um, that they're really trying to sell college basketball in these media rights. And while football is is King having really kind of an elite basketball conference does have some cachet, uh, especially as these uh, media entities are trying to build and stockpile content. They are selling baseball, softball, women's college basketball as secondary, maybe even uh, thirdary, if you will, uh, content um, because they feel that streaming will be very important to this next version of, of media rights. That whether it's NBC, whether it's CBS, whether it ends up being Fox or ESPN, that having a stockpile of content to stream is important. And when you have a premier softball program, when you have what of late has been one of the best women's college basketball programs, when you have a traditionally solid baseball program, uh, that you can really sell those aspects. Again, is it the, the driver that football is? No. Is it the driver that even college men's college basketball is? No. But it helps. They are trying to sell 
the fact that they have a loyal fan base that watches stream content, that watches games, that tunes in when especially Arizona basketball and football play, that they will have eyeballs. They're trying to sell their share of the Phoenix market. Now, you say to yourself, Arizona is not the Phoenix market, but there are a ton of alums there. And with Phoenix being such a pro-driven market, the loyalty of the Arizona brand appears to be higher than the loyalty to the ASU brand, despite more ASU uh, fans and grads there. Now, does that mean Arizona has more eyeballs? No, but they may have more consistent eyeballs. And in a perfect world, they're going to piggyback ASU to deliver the AS, the, the Phoenix and, and the Tucson market, but they feel that they have enough of a loyal fan base in the Phoenix market that they can sell it. Now, will big-time media companies buy that? I don't know. Uh, they are selling academics. They are selling the fact that they're a top-tier research institute with a, a med school, but that is less important to the Big 12. And frankly... President Robbins, who I have been told is taking a personal stake in this. He cares about athletics. He cares about his legacy with athletics. He's selling his personal relationships with the Big 12, with his ties to Texas. He's trying to sell Arizona as a culture fit, uh, a geographic fit with the Big 12. I think the most likely scenario, l let me backtrack here. I've also been told that Arizona's not going to wait around. That if an opportunity to join the Big 12 comes, they will say goodbye to the Pac-12 to ensure that Arizona is in a safe spot. They believe The belief seems to be that whatever seems, again, to be the safest long-term investment. Now, there's a chance that you could jump to the Big 12. The Pac-12 then negotiates media rights, and, and it's not as good a deal, but it won't be a significantly better deal. Arizona is also hoping that they have some leverage, um, that if they do have the opportunity to join the Big 12, that they can then leverage that uh, with the Pac-12 who's negotiating, and now the Pac-10, which would then be the Pac-8 or 9, um, because if ESPN is serious about keeping the Pac-10, which it seems like there is a, some genuine interest in the Pac-10 by ESPN, but that ESPN, and they had an article yesterday talking about the death of the Pac-10, that they're trying to drive those meteorites down. And if Arizona can say, look, you know, if, if we le jump, and again, don't be surprised if they're not talking to schools outside the Pac-10 also to join whether that's a San Diego State, if, if the Big 12 wants a presence in Southern California, whether it's SMU to strengthen a hold in Dallas that really is still Longhorn country, but when you add two schools in that Dallas Metroplex, that helps. That they can strengthen their position and be in a position of power. Um, but they're not going to hang around and hope the Pac-10 gets this deal, that they can stay together, that they can add their two or four programs if it means taking less money, if it means that in three years, two years, five years, Oregon and Washington bolt. 
Arizona's not, you know, there's been some, I heard rumblings of signing an eight-year, uh, you know, agreement to remain loyal to the Pac-12, but that Washington and Oregon aren't going to sign it, but they want it signed. Arizona's not going to do that. Arizona is not going to uh, put themselves in a position where they are not at the kind of the forefront of these negotiations, these strategy sessions. Um Again, that is my interpretation of what I've been told. I can't tell you that for sure, uh, but I do get the feeling that Arizona is is in a position of power here. That they again feel they're marketable enough, that they feel they have some leverage, and they're going to use it. Uh, and again, the, the the biggest options appear to be Big Twelve, remain in the Pac-10, with some expansion. The ACC seems to be a pipe dream, uh, although Arizona would explore that. Although, again, they don't want to move that far from the geographic imprint because of non-revenue sports. So the most likely scenario, I think it's still the four corners schools bolting and then hoping at some point Oregon and Washington join them. I could see a scenario where it's just Arizona and ASU making the move. I could see a scenario where it's just Arizona and Colorado making the move. I'd be very surprised if it is just Arizona and Utah. Utah seems to be the one of the four corners who is most reluctant to leave in large part because they may think there's something better on the horizon but I think they have, to be honest, an inflated view of their athletic department. Um, though, again, they, they do offer a lot. They offer a big media market or, or a mid-sized media market, a solid athletic department. But I don't think if the Big Ten's not taking Washington, they're, they're not taking Utah. I could also see some combination of the three teams, again, trying to partner with a, another fourth. Whether that's Oregon, whether that's Washington, whether that's Stanford. Although I think when the smoke clears, Stanford will either be in the Big Ten or an independent. With maybe some kind of alliance with Notre Dame who appears poised to renew their deal with NBC. I could also see, again, three Pac-12 teams finding a fourth. Could it be San Diego State? I've been told that by some, San Diego State is very valued because of their media market, because of the strength of football and basketball, because of they give you an imprint in a Southern California market that suddenly is fractured. Uh, I've also been told that people think it's a commuter school that doesn't have enough eyeballs on it, even in a good San Diego market. Uh, same thing with SMU. People are intrigued by SMU, good football program have had some success in basketball of late, again, in the Dallas Metroplex. But others will mention, no, Dallas cares about the Longhorns. They don't really care about SMU. There's not enough eyeballs on that product, despite the huge media market. Uh, other school I have not heard, but would make some sense, especially if you go believe the basketball aspect would be Memphis. Again, Solid to okay football program, good media market, not great media market, again, another good, okay media market, potentially great basketball program, 
and uh, again helps so helps you with uh, that basketball power conference uh, that they have sort of talked about. So those are some of the things that again have heard have pieced together. I really think we're going to hear something soon. I think we will either hear about some teams bolting to the Big 12 by the end of the week, early next week, or I think we'll hear about Pac-12 expansion and possibly a deal with ESPN. The big question is, does adding San Diego State and SMU bring in enough revenue in a media deal, most likely with ESPN, who has the negotiation window right now, the, the sole negotiation window, to make it worthwhile adding those two teams? So if those two teams only bring in $12 million in additional revenue, split 12 ways, you're taking a pay cut by adding them. But if they bring in $50 million, again, split 12 ways, you might have something there. If I was a betting man, I still think Arizona winds up in the Big 12. But again, that's a semi-educated Yes. Going to finish out with a little music talk. Uh, our good friend, the Prince of the East Side, uh, Sean, uh, wanted me to talk about hair metal. It was something I was kind of planning anyways, as I had been listening to a lot of, of Def Leppard's Pyromania and wanted to espouse on that. But I'm going to put that on hold. And I'm going to put the... We're going to do this as a multi-part series. He wanted me to talk about hair metal. And I think hair metal is a much maligned genre that deserves some of it, but doesn't deserve uh, some of it. As there were some excellent bands in that era. Like anything, it became watered down. Like anything, it became corporatized. And it was always ripe to be corporatized uh, because of the nature of, of really hard rock at the end of the 70s and coming into the 80s. But I think when you look at hair metal... It's easy to look at the worst of it, the hairspray, the makeup, the you know, pop nature of it. But what I think you really have to do is you have to look at the hair metal was really kind of made up of three subsets that had crossover. But so if we're talking Venn diagram, uh, one was the pop driven commercial hair metal. Some bit were no better than boy bands, but they played guitar and they looked a little bit tougher and they had some distortion. But if you really stripped down and played it acoustically, it's, it's not much different than what, you know, new kids were doing or, you know, it was very pop driven. Um, uh, some of, you know, the poisons of the world, the tricksters of the world. Then you had this aspect that essentially were influenced and were just 70s arena rock bands. Bands influenced by Queen, by Zeppelin, by Aerosmith. Uh, you look at, um, even though there was a huge pop sheen on it by the end, Def Leppard, heavily influenced by glam rock of the 60s by Queen. You look at Tesla, and they, there's a lot of Aerosmith there. And then you had the grittier, the bluesier, sleazier rock. Um, in some cases, even with elements of punk. Uh, your, your Guns N' Roses. 
your uh, if you remember Junkyard, if you remember bands like even Cinderella, even though they had that pop sheen, there's a lot of blues at the base of it. Uh, Dangerous Toys. My favorite aspect uh, of hair metal, of, of hair rock, was the grittier stuff. The stuff that was very blues-based. That, um, although maybe having gang courses, did not have that pop sheen to it. Again, Guns N' Roses. Uh, if you ever heard the band Tora Tora. To a lesser extent, Tesla. In my mind, and this is where we'll finish it off this time, and then we'll get into a deeper dive next time. There are anywhere from two to four masterpieces of the hair metal era. The albums that are so good, and they may not be my favorite, but that are so good when you have a combination of commercial success critical success radio success that they cannot be denied and the way I really look at it is if you took these albums and took the three biggest hits off of them would they still be great albums and the two that to me are non-disputable is Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction which to me, is a near-perfect album. While I am not a huge fan of my Michelle, mostly because it just bums me out, there's no denying that that's a great song, really well-done song. But if you took Paradise City, Welcome to the Jungle, and Sweet Child of Mine, which you can argue are three of the top 50 hard rock, even rock songs of all time, and you took those off the album, it's still a remarkable album. How many people would want Rocket Queen as the number one single off their album? How many people would want uh, Mr. Brownstone or Out to Get Me or So Easy um, as, as their hit single? You add those three absolute juggernauts of, of hits. Paradise City, Jungle, Sweet Child of Mine, and it's undeniable. The other one to me is Pyromania by Def Leppard. Not Hysteria. Because I think if you take the, the bigger hits off of Hysteria, it's still a very good album. I know it's this high, one of the highest selling albums of all time, but I don't think it's as good as Pyromania. You take Animal, you take which again, not my favorite on the album. You take Pour Some Sugar On Me, I Love Bites, the song Hysteria, off of Hysteria, and it's still very good, but it, it you know it's not great. But Pyromania, which was Def Leppard's, third album you take rock of ages you take fool and you take photograph off and again those are three absolute juggernaut singles and you still got too late for love you've still got stage fright you've still got uh, coming under fire you still got die hard the i mean just really a remarkable album one that doesn't get enough credit for the non-hits the two that are a little more debatable, one is because whether it falls into the hair metal genre itself, and that's Van Halen 1. Again, not necessarily my favorite. And a lot of that's just due to overplay. But you, again, cannot deny the songcraft on, on Van Halen 1. Whether it's the cover, uh, you know, You Really Got Me, whether it's Ain't Talk About Love, Running With The Devil... 
um, Jamie crying, feel your love tonight. I mean, again, take three of those songs. Hey, talking about love, I think I may have mentioned that. You take three of those off, and you and you still got an absolute monster of an album. The other one that's again a little more debatable, but I still think fits in there. And also, you have to look at just what it did commercially. It's slippery when wet. Again, three absolute monster singles. You give love a bad name, living on a prayer, when it dead or alive. But, you know, again, how many bands would want Let It Rock or Social Disease or Never Say Goodbye as their singles? Wild in the Streets. Um, not quite as strong, I think, as there is a little bit of filler in there. Uh, but that may be also my personal preference is I, I, I'm not, again, as much a fan of the more pop-driven. And while I think at their heart, Bon Jovi wanted to be a hair metal version of Bruce Springsteen in many times. But they, you know, they brought in Desmond Child to help write songs for that album. Um, you Give Love a Bad Name and Living on a Prayer were, were, were co-written with an outside writer. And I guess you could accuse Def Leppard of that with Mutt Lang as well but if you look at that those are the four monsters now they're not my favorites necessarily you know i would take tesla's great radio controversy over a couple of those albums i might take torah torah's uh debut album over a couple of those but they didn't have the commercial appeal um, of some of these others which make them again monster albums of the hair metal era so sean hopefully you like that little breakdown uh, love the music talk. And finally, we'll finish this. Uh, you know what? Let's just finish this. It's almost going 40 minutes, and I've got to try to record another one today. Where we're going to talk a little bit more about men's hoops and, and some football recruiting. So, hey, to Kylan Boswell, who reclassified. To Duke, for actually coming to McHale. And to you know President Robbins, who really... He and Dave Hickey working their butts off behind the scenes to get Arizona into a good conference position. All we can say is bear down.